pray for them, of course. Um, Pastor Ken has been a good friend, um, and Vonnie, since I've been up here three and a half years. So um, wherever they go, that doesn't break our friendship. So uh, turn with me in your Bible to Jeremiah. This is week three, the final week in this three-part message that we've been doing called Hope is Here. Uh, hope is here. We started the first week in, on Easter and we discussed what hope is. And then second week, last week, we talked about hope in others. And then this week, we're going to talk about hope in the world. Now, in order to even understand all that, you have to understand what hope is. It's not a, oh, I wish, oh, I, you know, I hope. You hear people say that, I hope. Usually it's, I hope nothing bad happens, right? That's how they use it in context. Yep, wrong. Anyway, it's that joyful anticipation that something good is about ready to happen. Can anybody stand up and show me what that might look like? Who can do that? Who can do that? Come on, Amy, stand up. You got it going. Come on. If you don't know what we're talking about, you haven't met my granddaughter yet. Two-year-olds know how to show you what hope looks like. The anticipation, joyful excitement that something good's about ready to happen. <gasps> what hope is not, because I've heard people say, well, you don't want to give them too much hope. Or I don't want to give them false hope. Well, do you know false hope means telling untrue promises? Is there anything in the word of God that's untrue? Any promise of God that's untrue? No. So this is full of hope. Speaking the word is full of hope. It's Every page is a joyful anticipation that something good is about ready to happen. And what's awesome about God is he even tells you how the story ends. So you don't have to just, I wonder... You know. Yeah, spoiler alert. Yeah, read the end of the story. It's good. It's a joyful anticipation. It's something, well, what if I don't feel good? I don't let my feelings tell me what's true. I tell my feelings who is the truth. And that's what I live by. That's what Christians are supposed to live by is truth wins over fact. Pastor Neil mentioned that some people have gotten a fact, uh, a report from the doctor that said you have blah, blah, blah. That's a fact. But that fact can't win out over the truth that Jesus already paid for your healing. That's the truth that will swallow that fact. So I don't let my feelings tell me. I mean, I had a Actually, he's still the pastor over at Living Hope Assembly of God. I was youth pastor over there for a spell some years ago. And he was really pushing fasting, fasting as an almost everyday lifestyle. It should be, you know, should, you know, you don't wait till, you know, the beginning of the year to fast. It was a weekly thing. You needed to have a fasted lifestyle. And we would get joking. It's like, you know, whose stomach's going to growl the loudest at staff meeting, you know? And he would just yell out, quiet, I'm in charge. And I'm like, oh, I like that. But quiet, that's right. He'd say, you just got to speak to that monster now and then. I'm, you're not in charge, I am. I like that. Okay, anyway. Sorry, I had iced coffee today for the first time in a few months. I, so I was already praying for you before I came in. Um. Put your watches aside. We're going to dig into the last of this. Really, um, there's just so much. And I, was, I wasn't able to finish first service, but um, God still showed up. He's faithful. Uh, second week, we talked about hope in others. Hope in others, which is um, speaking to the fearful heart. Do not be afraid. In saying do not be afraid, that speaking creative word full of hope has within it the power to give them courage to stand. It's not just a, oh, that's so nice. 
No, it has everything they need to speak into them. And when you know the hope in you, which is Christ, the hope in you, okay? When you speak when words of encouragement to others, if they can't stand up in that power, in that courage, you can actually loan them through that spoken word your courage. So when we speak words of encouragement, which the scripture last week was encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. And it, then it goes on to say, so that, so that your hearts won't be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Did you know that's a prescription? If I had a doctor's notepad here or whatever that thing's called, that's a prescription to keep your heart from getting hard by sin's deceitfulness. What is it? Encourage one another daily. How long do I have to do that? As long as it's called today. Well, today. Huh, today. What about tomorrow? Huh, it will be today. How long do I do this? Whenever today is called today, you have to do this. Why? To keep your heart right. It not only empowers them, encourages them, speaks to, and I talked about awakening the lion that was created within them. Everybody was created with a grand purpose and plan that God orchestrated and wrote down every day before we even took our first breath. I love that. And in that is that lion that he stands within us. And so when we speak those words of encouragement to people, we awaken that lion. I love that. I love that. Anyway, listen to last week's, but it also goes hand in hand with, well, all three of these go together. In order for us to speak hope into others, we first have to know hope in us, which is Christ. In us is the hope of glory. We are their hope. So in order to speak hope to them, we have to know the hope in us. And then today we're going to look at hope in the world. Well, we certainly can't go around um, sharing hope with the world if we don't know hope in us. You know, we are, and we talked about this last week, we are the taste and see that other people know he's good. That God is good because they taste and see of God in us. So he even said, the whole world will know that I love them because of you. The love you have for each other. Right? We are their taste and see. And you're like, ew, that's gross. It's like, remember, his most, Jesus' most popular message was, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can't have any part of me. And they're like, we're out. You know, you know a bunch of people left. Well, let me just say, you are the taste and see. You have that same message. They need to, and oh, it's gross. They need to eat of you and taste of you in order to know he is good. So in order to carry hope to the world, you have to be that hope to the world. And so we'll get into that in just a minute. Anyway. Uh, and then at the end of the message, we're going to take communion, which we're going to, um, remember Jesus's mission, which was die for us, right? Pay the entire penalty, uh, secure the entire relationship, restored relationship with God, pay the penalty, his resurrection, you know, empowers us. Same spirit that raised him from the dead dwells in us. His whole mission. And then we're also going to recommit ourselves to the Great Commission. Because then he said, okay, now I'm done. Tag, you're it. Now you go carry the message of hope. So we're going to do that at the end of the message. But turn with me over Jeremiah 29. And the famous verse that everybody knows of is Jeremiah 29.11, right? Right? I think, Mom, you even quoted that. Wednesday night, right? That was my Aunt Kathy's life verse that was spoken over her. But we'll just share a little scripture and then a whole lot of knowledge, okay? So hold on, all right? 
If you need snacks, my mom usually has them over here somewhere, right? No. Oh, she said, hey, no. <laughs> Let's start at verse 10, though. 29, verse 10, it says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Let me just stop for a second. Every once in a while, if you go into God's word um, inquisitively, not defensively or, mm, eh, or I'm just reading a letter, but God wanting to reveal himself to you inquisitively like that. He will show you things, and he'll, I mean, come on. He's the one that put that inquisitive nature in you. Why? So you can go disprove him? No, so he can reveal himself to you. So he does that. So I read that, and I'm like, why does that stand out to me? So I Googled, how long's Cornerstone Assembly of God been around? 73 years. I'm like, oh, so not only have we completed the 70, we're already into the perfect three, you know? So we're 73. So uh, anyway, sorry, that was... Hold on to your hats. The next few weeks, Amy's sharing next week, which is going to be powerful because she told me what she's going to be speaking on, and it's exactly what God's been speaking to me. So she's like, you know, hammer right on the nail for next week. And then the following week and Wednesday, oh, I won't be here this Wednesday. Why did I say that? I'm going to be at district council. Okay, the week after this Wednesday, I, I'm going to share some of these three, three, threes that God's been revealing to me lately that you're just, I mean, I'm just like, wow. It's What's that little emoji with the little head like blowing? That's me lately. I mean, I'm like, you know. So the little 70 thing, I know you're like, uh, it, it's intriguing. To me. I love it. God just loves revealing himself. He's like, you thought this was awesome. Look at this. You know, look at this. I love it. Anyway, going on. Verse 11. For I know, God's saying this, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen. Did you hear that? Before they can even come to him. Before they can even come to him and ask him anything. Before they can even seek for him. They first have to know hope. Then they'll call. Then you'll call. You can't even come to God. I mean, you might come as a, you know, orphan. I need, I need, I need. But for the satisfying indwelling of Christ in you, hope of glory, you first have to know his hope in you. Awaken to that. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen. You will seek me. And find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. That word captivity is used multiple times throughout the Bible. And it always is three parts. It's captivity. It's a, when you are returned from captivity, it's a, a freedom. It's a release from captivity. It, incur, it um, encompasses freedom, health, and wealth. It always has those three things. Think about Jesus. He says, I've come. Why? Remember when he said that? To release the captives. Healing. And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Unmerited blessings. That's wealth, prosperity, captivity. But how will they know that? They have to know hope. Hope for the world. Listen, hope for the world is not the return of Christ. Don't stone me. Don't look at me like that. You know? <laughs> hope for the world is not the return of Christ. Because when... Christ returns, it's the end of all things. It means now the books are going to be opened. 
The dead will be judged. We will be judged. There's no more hope. It's all done. So the return of Christ is our hope. <laughs> it's our blessed hope. Because if we're, if we're found doing what we're supposed to be doing, you know, it might not even be your hope. If you're, you just have your get out of hell free card and you think that's all you need, ain't not going to get it. If we're found doing what we're supposed to be doing, right, in the mission, doing what he called us to do, then when we're found, when he returns, which he said could happen at any moment. Yeah. Oh, that would have just been cool if it would have happened. <laughs> Come on. Anyway, to be found, that's our hope, that we're doing what, and bum ba -da -ba, or that trumpet call, you know, and here we go. Yes. But for the world, no. Because they're not ready. And I'm talking, not the, I'm, you know who I'm talking about, the not yet Christians, okay? The not yet believers. That, that's not their hope. We are their hope. Christ in us is their hope. But if we, oh, I don't want to get a hold ahead of myself, just a minute. The world needs the good news preached to them, the demonstration of God's power and the acceptance of forgiveness. Then they have Christ in them, the hope of glory. Hope in the world cannot come through a people, though, who believe that everything happens under God's control. It's his will. And, well, what can we do about it? Have you ever heard the saying, the world's going to hell in a handbasket? The world's getting darker, so we just need to huddle in here, hold on till Jesus comes. The little kitten. I always see the little kitten picture, right? Continue to hold on. Yeah, the little kitten, meow, you know, holding on. Hold on till Jesus comes, and we'll just huddle in here, and the world's getting evil. Don't let the world touch us, you know? If we are the hope for the world, and we huddle in here, what hope is there for the world? And if there's no hope for the world and everything happens under God's will, according to his purpose and his timing, then Jesus would have been going against God's will by healing the sick and raising the dead. If everybody got, died in God's timing, then Jesus would have been operating against God's will by raising the dead. God would have commissioned us, Jesus commissioned us to do a work that's against his will, if that were true. He gave us the great commission. He came, he showed us his mission. He said, this is why I've come. And he did it. And then he said, tag, you're it. Now carry this message, preach the good news Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out the demons. Now go into the world. You are the hope. You are the light, right? And he said, here, I'll even teach you exactly what to pray. Pray that your kingdom, his kingdom, will come on earth now as it is in heaven. How could there not be hope in that? How is there not hope in that? The only reason... The world would be without hope is if we huddle in and don't do what we're supposed to be doing. And then, I don't know if you'd be looking forward to Jesus returning. Yeah, I'm not going to go there. Back up, back up. Uh, I've had people come up to me and actually um, want to get into debates about pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, Right? And eschatology, the, the study of the old time, old times, the study of the end times, eschatology, study of the end times. Um, I don't get into much debates. I bring it back to practical application. Because um, do you know when Jesus is going to return? No. He could come right now. <laughs> that would have been good. Anyway, but when they want to debate, 
eschatology and when's Jesus going to be coming back. And, you know, you need to stop, you know, promoting so much hope that, you know, the rapture could come at any second. You need to stop talking like that because what if it doesn't happen? I said, okay, let's finish that thought. What if it doesn't happen? Let's see. I'm preaching hope. I'm preaching mission. You know, love, hope, faith, doing the mission that we're called to do. And if all of a sudden we're in the middle of the tribulation and things are starting to get bad, now there's a mark of the beast we have to take on our forehead or on our hand or get our, you know, you know all this stuff. Would my message change? No. What's the alternative? Oh, God, why didn't you come back? What is the alternative? I just don't get it. Uh, and, you know, the comment was, well, you need to teach them how to prepare. Prepare for what? Doom and gloom, go into hiding, hoard. You know, the prepper's mindset is all about uh, us four and no more. I can't line that up with the word anywhere. You know, if you're a prepper, please prep for more than yourself. If you're going to prep, you know, cause I'm coming to your house, right? So that's okay. But the mindset that says I'm just going to fend for us. And that is not anywhere in the Bible. Come on. I mean, so think through the entire thought. So, this uh, eschatology or the belief in the old, why do I keep saying old? End times, probably because I am old, right? Anyway, the belief in the end times that we're not supposed to be encouraging hope, but we're supposed to be propagating doom and gloom, um, prepare for the worse. Uh, I don't hear that in the message, preach the good news. I just, I don't hear that. And again, if you think that thought through, um, a doom and gloom, if you go out there and preach to the world, doom and gloom, judgment is coming. Do you see people saying, I'm coming. Sign me up. No, who's going to run to that? You know, if Jesus would have came and that would have been his message, doom and gloom, doom and gloom, prepare for the worst. People are like, okay. <laughs> right? Come on. So this idea, this mindset that slips into the church that the world is evil and it's wicked and, you know, there's no hope for the world is wrong because that's our mission that's our mission field that's why you're still breathing I don't know if you figured that one out yet if you're still breathing it's because you still have a mission you still have things to do and I have to admit I love toys mmm I could preach that for a while. I love toys I love life I love doing things I love life we're supposed to enjoy life abundantly, right? Yeah. While we're doing our mission. You know? So it's not about, oh, now I have to give up everything and go to the mission. You are in the mission field. Yes, some are called to the missions field. But this is your mission field. Hospitals, your mission field. The gas station can be your mission field. Your school, obviously, is your mission field. You know? Your family, your mission field. Imagine if the disciples would have adopted this, there's no hope for the world, doom and gloom message. Where would we be today? So if your uh, studies of the last days in, does not inspire hope, you're, pro you're propagating the devil's mant mantra, mantra, doom and gloom, there's no hope for you. You're, you're his voice piece. Come on. All right. Satan knows the power of hope. Satan knows the power of hope. That's why he entices the media, the news, the hmm, your uh, Facebook, you know, whatever. What is that thing called? I don't know. That feed with all the doom and gloom in the world. It shows the worst of the worst. Your news in the morning shows the worst of the worst. Right? 
So you'll actually start adopting the idea that the world is getting worse and worse. Right? I didn't do this first service. Hmm. No, I won't. I, I don't want to embarrass anybody. But there is an article in Forbes magazine that I love it. I mean, again, there's another intriguing thing because I'm like, is the world getting worse? I mean, that's what I see all the time. That's what I hear all the time. And oh, you know, and, uh, you know, right? So I Googled, is the world getting worse today than it ever has been before? Article in Forbes magazine, and I'm just going to share a little excerpt from it. The title is called, Why the World is Getting Better and Why Hardly Anyone Knows It. I mean, God is just so funny at times. He show, If you're intrigued in searching him out, he's going to show you things that will just, you know, right? Did I do that right? The young adults just look at me. Oh, that's no, don't do that. Anyway, uh, Steve Denning writes this article. He says, read the news and you can see that the world is, here it is, going to hell in a handbasket and fast. Terrorism, nuclear weapons, economic stagnation, social unrest, structural unemployment, the opioid epidemic, increasing inequality, recession, financial crashes, growing hopelessness, and the list goes on. So when a recent survey asked, all things considered, do you think the world is getting better or worse? The results were predictably bleak. In Sweden, only 10% thought things are getting better. In the U.S., it was only 6%. Hardly anyone thinks the world is getting better. And yet the facts show otherwise. In a powerful study entitled The Short History of Global Living Conditions and Why It Matters That We Know It by Max Roser, an economist, economist, there it is, at the University of Oxford and the founder of Our World in Data, we learned that on virtually all of the key dimensions of human material well-being, which is poverty, literacy, health, freedom, education, the world is an extraordinarily better place than it was just a couple centuries ago. And I, I'm going to hit just a couple of those. Uh, first, poverty. As the media is obsessed with reporting events where things have gone wrong, it is easy to overlook this extraordinary fact. Every single day since 1990, on an average, there were 130,000 fewer people in extreme poverty every day. For literacy, the education story is equally encouraging. Data shows that the share of the world's population that is literate over the last two centuries has gone from a tiny elite that could read and write to a world where now 8 out of 10 people are literate. For help, I mean, come on, people. How long ago were they doing the whole, let's just let them bleed out and that should fix them? Or throw leeches in them and somehow that'll fix them. You know, all this other stuff about, you know, like the whole going from working on dead bodies to let's just go over here and now, you know, operate on people. And they were dying more than they were helping. They're like, what's going on? Well, maybe we should wash our hands before we go from one to the other. That wasn't too long ago. He says in health... Progress in health is also equally astonishing, a key reason for our surprise. We don't know how bad things used to be. In 1800, more than 40% of the world's newborns died before the age of five. And now the fraction is so small, it's almost hard to uh, measure of newborns dying before age five. And then he goes on and on, lists all these other things, lots more statistics, and then he summarizes. It's ironic that in a world where knowledge and education are improving dramatically, there is widespread ignorance. 
about the improving state of the world. More than 9 out of 10 people do not think the world is getting better. Our world and data suggests that the media are partly to blame. The media does not tell us how the world is changing for the good. It tells us where the world is going wrong. It tends to focus on single events, especially single events that have gone bad. By contrast, positive developments happen slowly with no particular event to promote in a headline, such as, more people are healthy today than yesterday, doesn't excite the media. And we've bought into it. And that's where the let's hold on till Jesus comes. Well, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. What can I do? If you are the hope for the world, you're carrying the message of the hope for the world. What hope do they have if you don't go into the world? The world is getting better. When the news only focuses on the bad things, statistics only focus on reporting the bad things, we actually believe the world is all bad. We Christians are propagating the doom and gloom of the world, and when we focus more on the evil in the world than the goodness of God, we are no better than the media today. And we scream to the world, there is no hope. We all know that the abortion is just horrible right now. Abortion, what's going on, horrible, right? In 1995, Gallup poll lists Americans who are pro-life as 33%. 33% of Americans were pro-life in 1995. I'm saying this extremely careful because uh, eradication of anybody, any, anybody is wrong, okay? So abortion is wrong in my heart. But to think that it's gotten worse today than it has, 33% of Americans in 1995 were pro-life. In 2018, now 51% are pro-life. So I know that the news and the media and even our own hearts um, are saying it's getting worse just because they're coming out with new ways to do it is, is horrible. And let me just say this, and I wasn't able to share this first service, but I have no time limit in this service. I hope you know that's why you guys come to second service, because there is no time limit. Um, the only reason they can think that it's right for abortion because they dehumanize the fetus. If they can place, if they can devalue the fetus, dehumanize it, call it a fetus, it's not a baby, is the same thing that the Nazis did to the Jews is the same thing that the our our history said we did to the African Americans to um, take them on as slaves. You dehumanize them, devalue them to the point of it's not a human being. Then it's okay to eradicate them. So the problem at the core of abortion is not the doctors performing is not even the system that's saying if it's right or wrong. Do you, do you see? It's the individuals that have no value, no hope in their heart for another human being. They've devalued human life to the point there's no hope. I mean, what does, let me just say this, as me as a mom, me as one who's carried to term a couple babies the minute I knew I was pregnant I if you said one word one just tell me one word what you're feeling right now it'd be hope why 
life swallows death. So when we rise up against the system, when we rise up and rail against something wrong, programs, structures, government, entities, whatever, and we start praying against, coming against, or we even try to say, well, we're praying for. We're, we're not called to fight against systems. We're not even called to fight against humans. We are called to pray for hope to be awakened in others, that broken hearts be healed. So if you want to do, a, I think we're called to, not if you want to, we are called to change the world by bringing heaven to earth, right? By preaching the good news. When we pray for things that are going wrong, whether it's the... Um, Kim Jong-un, I don't know how you pronounce his name. I mean, you know, you think about, you know, the most wicked person in your mind. Um, or um, Trump doesn't make all the best choices, you know, or Trump or Pastor Neil or myself. I know I'm the one that makes all the right choices, right? <laughs> or the doctor performing the abortion. They're all God's children. What they do should not taint your prayers. Otherwise, you're praying against somebody and you're not called to do that. We are called to pray for our war is not against flesh and blood, right? So when we're praying for flesh and blood, we're praying for them, instilling hope, belief, broken hearts restored, broken hearts healed. So when you think about the abortion, well, what can we do? Pray for those doctors to come to an awareness of the life that's before them. To come to the, for all the, whatever, every senator, every, you know, whatever, all the lawmakers, not against them and the system and it won't change nothing, but for them, Lord. Why? Because they're his children, just like you are, just like I am. All right? That's instilling hope is that you can see them the way God sees them. And it doesn't matter what's going on. I use this illustration, first service. That whole tainting your prayers. Let me, I'll, I'll drop this one right here, and then I'll get right back to my message. Um, I see this a lot in marriages only because I were one <laughs> happened in my home and I can talk about him now that he's not here. Um, <laughs> see this crooked finger? That's me. Okay. This is Brian. He's the perfect little finger. Okay. We've been married 30 years now. So uh, let's just say the example, husband and wife. Okay. Let's say the wife is nah, 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 all the time. Okay. You can't do this, right? You can all do this. Right? And he goes to God and starts praying for her. God, change her. God, change her. Make her nicer. And, you know, let her see the error of her ways, Lord, you know, right? Why? So my life will be a lot easier. Well, what does that do for her? You know, but if it's because it's tainting his prayer. But if he sees the broken heart in her and her as God's child, just like he is. Now her prayer's not tainted when she's praying, Lord, speak to her heart and let her know how loved she is and that she is a queen in your eyes and she's your daughter. And, you know, whether I feel refreshed or feel relieved doesn't matter, God. She matters. All right. There's a tainting of prayers. If you don't see that hope in other people, if you don't see the hope in the world, you won't pick up your responsibility to go and take hope to the world. And let me just say, when you buy into this doom and gloom, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. It's only to relieve your own guilt that you, you have no responsibility. Well, you do. Whether you pick it up or not, Jacob in our house, well, I shouldn't say just Jacob because Tyler takes out the trash too. Tyler in our house, he's sitting right here, so I'll use him, takes out the trash. 
What if one day he rises up and says, you know what? I'm just sick of this trash. It keeps coming. It never stops. I take it out. More appears. I'm done. Now, when I sit down and open my books and then say judgment time has come, does his removal of that responsibility remove his responsibility? No, it just piles up. Gosh, I hate to use the word guilt, but, you know, it, yeah, guilt was not the word I needed. It doesn't alleviate. It alleviates his sense of responsibility, but it doesn't remove the responsibility. There, I'll say it that way. That sounded better. So erase that other part. Thank you. Okay. So you might think, well, the world is all horrible, or like you, um, you guys were saying about the neighbor. The neighbor, they thought the man was the one that they needed to get around to be able to preach to the wife because the man was very obstinate, very verbal, very don't talk about God in my house, blah, blah, blah. Right? Well, guess who's yelling hallelujah running over to their house? Come on. But when you see the world, when you see the others, when you see your spouse, when you see your children, I mean, come on. You would have all given up on your children the minute they first pooped in their diaper, right? Well, I ain't touching that. I'm out. But you saw something in them. What? It was the love that ignited the hope that one day you'll never poop in your diaper again. Or I'll be dead and gone when you do start pooping in the diaper again, right? When they get old. Yeah, hey. I'm not responsible. No, okay, no, that's bad. Sorry. In the Old Testament, the law said don't touch a leper. The law said don't touch unclean things. Why? Because you'll become unclean if you touch them. In the New Testament, what does Jesus say? Go touch the leper. Why? Life swallows death. So I, I can't stand that people have misquoted that, um, you know, we are in the world, but don't be of the world like we have to huddle in and don't get touched by the world. You might get, you know, sin on you, right? If you're living a Romans 8 life where I'm following hard after the Spirit and what He desires and what He wants me to do and doing my mission, it can't stick on me. Come on, girls, did you help me? I, I prompted you first service. I am rubber, you are glue. What bounces off of me and sticks on you. That's what you need to say to the devil. You can't touch this. No. Stop it. It's an iced coffee. I am sorry. Yeah, now you're all saying no. Life swallows that. So you don't need to go out into the world and think, oh, I don't want to be touched by this. You are the life. You are the kingdom carrier, the light barrier, the anointing of heaven. That's why Jesus said when the, the Pharisees and the teachers said, by what power do you cast out these demons? He goes, if I cast out demons, it's because the kingdom of God has come. You are the kingdom of God wherever you go. So like, you know, you stomp and those spiders of hell take off. You know, and I'm sorry, that's what I was praying earlier. Lord, all this dancing is sending those spiders right back to hell from this place. But it can't touch you. Come on. You have to know that life swallows death. So when you're carrying the hope into the world, it's not timid. It's like, you know. Throw back your shoulders, pick up your head. He's the lifter of your head. He put the crown on your head. He says, as I am in heaven, so are you now on this world. Wherever you go, boom, kingdom of heaven, boom, kingdom. Maybe you should have your own, you know, music that walks around. Boom, here it is. Boom, here it is. Boom, here it is. Right? Kingdoms come, kingdoms come, kingdoms. That's the hope for the world. If we don't carry that, what hope do they have? So it ushers, if you'd get ready, if I can keep talking to you while they're handing out the communion elements, 
Um, stay focused on what I'm saying because I still have a little bit more to say and then we're going to be taking up communion. But remember, when we live a life that reacts to evil, we are allowing the devil to set the agenda. So when we hear a terrible tragedy in the world and we go, oh no, now we have to pray. You know, and I'm not saying when something happens, we don't pray. But we need to be constantly on the move. We are the offense, if you will. We are on the offense. If you allow the devil to set the agenda because you're focusing on the evil, and now I'm going to react to this, and I'm going to react to this, and oh, now look at this, and look what, you know, the government's doing now, and look what, uh, the enemy does not care. How passionate you get. He doesn't care how you'll rail against the system. He doesn't even care how many prayers you pray against things. He only shakes and only runs when you stand for people. When you stand for kingdom. When you stand for God. Big difference. Big difference. Jesus came and had a mission. I shared this earlier. He said in Luke 4, 18 and 19, he was actually quoting the book of Isaiah. He said, I have come to preach good news, proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, releasing the oppressed, and proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. Is there any doom and gloom in that? No. And actually that word there translated is those three things we talked about earlier. That freedom. That spiritual, emotional, physical freedom. Healing. Is a restoring of all things stolen. And boy, do I have a message for you in a couple weeks that God took one verse while I was in the shower. <laughs> quoted that verse and said, would you like to know more about what that means? I'm in. Yeah. And all of a sudden, all this stuff started downloading. And I'm like, oh, I never saw that side before. Oh, I never saw that side before. And it has to do this with this restoring of all things Stolen, which is freedom, spiritual, which is physical healing, and it's wealth, prosperity returned, the inheritance. Then Jesus came for his mission, and then he said, tag, you're it. Now it's your turn. And his uh, words to us is say, preach the good news. Hello. He didn't say pray for these people. He said, no, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out the demons. Amen. Any doom and gloom in that? No, it's all hope. So the word encourages us. To, uh, to examine ourselves before we take communion. Communion is just a time to remember what Christ, what Jesus came to do, what he accomplished through his sacrifice, um, the beating he took on his back for our healing, you know, the, the thorns, the piercing, the stripes, everything for our healing. And this is sozo healing, emotional, physical, spiritual healing. The blood that cleanses all that. That's there's power. I love those old hymns. There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. I love, I love old hymns. I know, I'm old. But I love them. Um, because they're just true. They're proclaiming truth. Anyway. 
Communion is a time to remember what he did. And it's a time to recommit to what he's told us to do. He said, I'll never, I won't drink this again until I drink it with you. And so you better, here's Brenda translation. So you better be there. Yeah. You want to see me again? You better get ready. You better be doing what I told you to do before I left. So we're going to take time right now quietly. I want you to examine yourself. If you need to recommit your life, your heart, is Jesus still the king who sits on the throne of your heart? Is he still not just your savior with your get out of free, uh, get out of hell free card, but also your Lord, which means you bow to him in front of everything. That you're a steward of everything he's given you. Your life, your breath, your family, your work, your car, your everything. That you bow to him first and honor him first. Is he Lord? If not, recommit. Recommit. God, forgive me. Forgive me that I quickly forget and I push you off the throne of my heart. And other things have crowded in. That I've taken ownership of different things in my life that I know that you're, you are my Savior and my Lord. And I bow to you again this day. And I'll serve you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. From now on until you come back again, I will serve you. I will extend your kingdom. I will expand your love, share your hope and your good news everywhere I go. Mm. And right now we just pray over this bread, this symbol of his body. Jesus, we thank you that you willingly laid down your life. That you stood in our place, died for us, was beaten and bruised for our healing. Our sin was laid upon you. You bore it all. You took it to the cross. You paid the penalty. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did. Let's just take the bread together. And Jesus, now we lift our cup to you. This cup is a symbol of your blood that cleanses not only our heart, our spirit, our soul. There's no condemnation. There's no guilt in you. God, we are renewed. We are, it's your righteousness you've placed upon us. We are white. We are restored. We're righteous before you because it's your righteousness. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your blood. The new covenant that you didn't die and were dead. But Lord, it's the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that dwells in us, raised you from the dead. You took back the keys. You took back the authority. You're seated with God and in high above all things. All things are placed under your feet. There's nothing above you. God has given it all to you, restored back. And by your blood. We are seated with you in heavenly places, restored. And everything, your word says, everything that the Father has given to you, you give to us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And it's by your Holy Spirit that we have the power that we are equipped to be your witnesses wherever we go. To expand your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, our partner, our guide, our teacher, the power of Pericles. Thank you.
Let's take the blood together. Sorry, juice. Juice. Would you stand right now? We're going to open up the altars. This is not a time to go. This is a time to, are you ready for this? First service was mind-blowing. Second service, I believe, is going to be double mind-blowing. Because we've pressed in just in this short time in his word. We've pressed in to understand, and he wants to press back. And that's what the altar time is. He said, you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. You lean in to find me, and I'll be found by you. So when we open up the altars, it's not a done time. It's a get ready for time. <laughs> get excited time. And we, I, I feel it again this service. We need to press into show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. God loves showing off. Not in a prideful, arrogant way, but a come closer, don't you want to see? When I'm in my times of prayer or worship or wherever, I don't know what, do it here too. But I'm like, cuddle me so close that when I leave, I smell like you wherever I go. You ever hugged your dad or your grandpa and you walk away and you're like, I still smell him. That's what he wants with you. Crawl up. Crawl up on his lap. Snuggle him close and he'll snuggle you closer. I want you to experience a, a seeing his glory like Elijah into the cleft of the rock. And, you know, I'm okay, God, if you just want to show me your behind, you know. Or the woman with the issue of blood that slipped in through the crowd and just to touch the hem of his garment. I'm okay with that. But I'm not okay with not seeing your glory. I won't settle for that. I, I want to I wanna be like Moses where we talked face to face. And he didn't die. I want to be called a friend of God. But I can't if I don't go in. I can't if I don't believe I'm worthy to go in either. And that was one of the things Amy shared with me this morning while we were, before we even came here, about what she was seeing with the hearts being healed. God was already speaking to me that he's going to heal this orphan heart. He's going to heal this orphan heart. The heart that thinks that they need to do to be. You know what that means? Like you have to, you have to do good, do all these things in order to be accepted. Uh, the orphan also believes that they they don't deserve. Uh, well, Pastor Neil can see that much glory, but not I, I. I can't see that much glory. You know, that's the orphan heart. Or I'm getting what I deserve. You ever say something like that? Well, I screwed up here, I screwed up there, and so I deserve. That's an orphan heart. God's going to heal that today. We're also going to be praying for a recommissioning. I want everyone to be prayed for. A recommissioning of what you're, uh, the mission of carrying the hope to the world. They're going to pray for an infilling of the Holy Spirit like you've never had before because he said that the Holy Spirit will give you the power to be his witnesses. So it's not that you learn the right things to say or the right way to walk or go to the right places. He is in you the power to be the witness that he needs for the world, that the world needs, I should say it that way. So we're all going to be prayed. So while you're coming up, while the altar team's coming up, I want you to just keep repeating that. Show me your glory, Lord. Show me your glory. And if you have one of those heart that need to be healed of any of those issues, please share that with the person praying with you. Or you can get healed right where you're at. 
but don't take the well if God wants to change me he'll come find me in my seat good luck with that one because he said you draw in near to me I'll draw near to you oh the commission here as we wait 